Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Okay, I got a couple of... uh, I want to remind you of the, uh, the idea of calling and the definition that we used last week. I have that slide. This was from Oz Guinness. I really like it. God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and his service. I think some of that will come out a little bit more in terms of what that means. But obviously it encompasses your whole life, which has to include your work. And remember last week I told you that somebody sort of figured out that you'd be in church maybe 5,000 over a 40-year period, 5,000 hours, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 95, give or take, depending on your job, 95,000 hours. I mean, obviously... uh, your kingdom life has to include those hours and what that means. And so bringing some significance to that is what we're trying to do. We said that in Colossians 3.23, your memory verse, which we have. Colossians 3.23, you got that up there? There it is. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Uh, So we said a couple of things about that verse. I just want to put that picture up here real quick and then we'll use it for the rest of this. So I sort of picture and I I like picturing a text. It helps me. Uh, So here's this guy, this worker, and it's for the Lord. He works heartily for the Lord as for the Lord. Uh, And then verse 24, which I don't have up here, says uh, it is... It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So when you work, that's, that's who you're serving. And then it says, do your work heartily. Okay, And we said last week that was out of the soul. So out of your soul, there's this part here, and then there's doing my work for the Lord. So both of those two images come in in the Colossians text. Okay, which I think suggests uh, at least... Two things that are important. The first one is, God has put him up here in this image because that's who we're serving ultimately. So he's looking down on our work and our first point out of that will be, your work must matter to him. Your work must matter to God. Your work matters to God. And then we'll say, God matters to your work. Okay, so you got both sides of the coin here. So what does it mean that your work matters to the Lord? I want to just suggest two things for each of them to, for you. Now, I've read about three books for, for this thinking uh, that are sort of informing my mind on this. And what, I, what you gather real quickly is God really does care about your work and that you're ultimately serving him. He created work at the beginning in Genesis. Work before there was ever a fall. So work was always a part of the of the scheme and design for man based on who he is and what God's accomplishing in the world. And then even in the new heavens and the new earth, if you read 
uh, Isaiah and you read uh, texts that describe, you know, the new age, uh, you see there's lots of things going on. There's still work going on. It doesn't go away because we enter into an eternal reality. So work stays a part of this thing as a dimension of how we interact with each other and how we serve God. Both things. Um, And it was interesting for me to learn about Martin Luther, who is uh, our great reformer, when he sort of uh, went against the Catholic Church for numerous things. One of them was this whole issue of work. Like he was really bothered by the fact that the Catholic Church felt like everything they did was spiritual. What anyone else did in the world wasn't. Uh, So if you weren't a priest, and if you weren't a nun, or a monk, your work was somehow uh, just less spiritual, less sacred. And so uh, Martin Luther reminded the church that we're all priests. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, that means, in other words, what he was about to do was elevate what would seem like, in their minds, very unsacred tasks. You know, work like driving a truck and move it up to something liturgical, something equal with what a priest would do. And I'll tell you how he argued this, which was quite interesting. So if you read the Psalms and you see that God... uh, feeds the animals. God takes credit for literally feeding every living thing. God takes credit for protecting. God takes credit for all the little things in life that go to the well-being of humans and, and every living creature. And so when you read Psalm 40, 147 or Psalm 145 or even read the Lord's Prayer and God's going to provide you with daily bread, Where are you going to get that bread? Well, Martin Luther would say, uh, only only once did the bread drop out of the sky. You remember? Every other time, someone had to make it. Someone had to grow what was needed to accomplish it. Someone had to process it. There were flower bins. There were processes, there were truck drivers, there were store owners, to get bread to you today is a massive process on the part of God. And that's how Martin Luther looked at it. Fields, farmlands, flowers. So he said, God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaids. And so he said, we are the fingers of God. So how is God accomplishing and serving Men and women and mankind doing it through our labors. Our labors. Uh, It's the way God cares for the world. He actually writes this. I like it. He says, what else is all our work to God, whether in fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, but just such a child's performance by which he wants to give his gifts in the fields, at home, and everywhere else. What else is it? It's a way for God to give his gifts to people. 
And he calls these are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and yet do all things. In other words, each one of us at some level are dis- we're, we're God in disguise when we're working. And I love that imagery. It's... So that's the first thing I would say to you uh, is your work matters to God because you are actually accomplishing his will in the world, doing what he wants to accomplish in the world. Think about your work that way. Think about what you do. There's another thing that I think when it comes to the idea that your work matters to God. Uh, And this has to do with uh, the quality of your work. Uh, All you have to do is have your garage door go bad, which mine has done three times in the last ten days. I've had to call out a garage door guy. And when a guy shows up at your house with his truck and all his stuff and knows things about garage doors that you don't, you want that guy to do a good job. You don't want him to lie to you about the gear that's in the motor that's causing the problem. You don't want it. You want him to do a good job. Competent work. If you're going to do it, do it right. Here's a I got a quote for you by Dorothy Sayers. I quoted her last week too, and I love her. And I love her attitude about this, especially as it relates to the church. Uh, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it's awesome. We, would, the, the, we tend to focus on the moral, and the moral is a huge part of what you do and who you are, how you relate to people and how you do your job. There's lots of moral issues and dilemmas. We'll see a couple of them here in a minute. But beyond that, you've got to make good tables. Whatever it is you make. Dr. Falwell used to say when we were in college, Sort of a famous line. If it's Christian, it ought to be better. Now, when we were young, we heard that, and we were young champions for Christ, and we were all motivated by that. And of course, there's some truth to that in some ways, but at the end of the day, if you make bread, I don't know that a Christian can make bread any better than somebody else can make bread. All right, if you're a a Christian pilot, (laughs) we still, as Tim Keller would say, land the plane. All right? Uh, whatever it is you do, do it well. Competent work. I don't know if you've ever watched, but I actually get a spiritual experience out of watching Homes on Homes. Have you ever seen him? Jeff Wakefield turned me on to Homes on Homes. He's this contractor who comes in after a contractor has basically screwed up a house. He gets called. He brings his crew in there. And he goes through it, and uh, it's called uh, Holmes Makes It Right. And he goes through that house, and he shows you everything that was done wrong. And I mean, he will peel it back to the the deepest problem. 
and he will solve it all the way there and walk you through how he solves each one of those. How he thinks as a contractor and a carpenter through every single thing that he does. And I'm telling you, by the time you're done, I just watched an episode this past week, just happened to watch one, I don't watch one every week or anything like that, but I happened to watch one this last week. And it was an episode where he actually did something he had never done on any of his shows. And that is, he felt so bad for the couple that he had built a home for, or that he was coming in to help, because they wanted an addition to their house, and this guy destroyed their house. It was a second uh, story. So he messed up the first, and then the second one was impossible to live in. He said, "This this is completely condemnable. So I'm going to have to just condemn the whole thing. I can't even build on what he did. He felt so bad for this couple that he offered to do something for them that he had not done for anyone on the show, and that is buy their whole house so that he could condemn it, and they could walk away and just build another house somewhere else. It's the kind of person he is. When you watch him, you are motivated to do things rightly in a way that I just cannot describe. He resonates in my spirit. No, this is going to be done right. And even after his work is done in this same episode, he walks upstairs and he's looking at this overhang that's going across the front of the house over windows. And he notices that it isn't straight. And he says, I'm not going to be able to do the second piece to this if we don't fix that. And so he gets his crew to stop and he goes right by. And he's inspecting their work as they go to make sure that everything is just right. It's so motivating. And you just think, that's the kind of work Christians can You don't have to be a Christian to do that kind of work. But if you are a Christian, you ought to do that kind of work. You ought to care about the product you produce. I think that matters to God. Uh, now, if you're a truck driver, can you drive a truck? You might. There's some issues about a Christian driving a truck versus a guy who's not a Christian driving a truck, potentially. Or a guy who's, who, uh, uh, if you're a teacher in a school, you know, your idea about morality is going to come through in what you teach. So you might be able to do work different and maybe better than someone who's not a Christian because you have a sort of a, you know, a worldview that's impacting what you're doing. If you're a playwright or you're a movie maker, that might specifically impact the kind of movies you would make? Sure. But in some cases, it's land the plane or make the bread the way, make good bread at a good price, serve it well to people, or whatever it is you do. So that's the two ways I think your work matters uh, to God. It's a service, literally, from the fingers of God. Good, competent work. In those respects, your work matters to God. Uh, and what about this idea that God matters to the work? This is all because of what God has done inside of me as a person. If you're a dad and your kids get to working age, you want to instill all the things that I've just shared with you into your kids. When my kids get their first jobs, whenever my kids get a job, I have a a standard text that I send them uh, about what it means 
to be a good worker and what it means to be a quality person on the job. Because I know how important that is. Um, but something has got to be something inside of you that God has done that makes God matter to what I do. He matters to what I do. I want to show you in two ways. At least two things. Uh, number one, my work, I have to be really careful of this. I want to even be careful how I say it because it's so indicting to us as men. And the first one is, our work can't be our life. It doesn't have to be our life because he is our life. I want to just show you, there's a great verse in Colossians 3. Do I have it? Colossians 3, look, look at this. Here's the beginning of Colossians 3, the same text that this is in. Notice what it says. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is our life, he is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. In other words, he's your life. You don't have to make anything else your life. This is a really important point uh, for most of us as men, because we can easily make the mistake of idolizing our work. We can idolize our work. Uh, We can become workaholics. We can find our identity in our work. Um, Our self-worth, our self-importance. And uh, I, I know this feeling. All the ones that we've shared so far, you know, whenever I'm doing my own work, It's spiritual work, but it's still work. And um, I want to make sure that I'm I'm doing the best job I can at what I'm doing. On the other hand, it's real easy, and the church makes it easy for a pastor, because he's pastor no matter where he goes. And if I preach a bad sermon, at least one in my mind, I mean, Mondays are hard days. And I did that about two weeks ago. Preached one of those sermons that in my head was one of the worst ones I've done. I literally changed it from the first service to the second service. Second service, I did a completely different talk. Approached it completely differently because I hated the first one. But you know, I went home going, feeling horrible. Because what happens is if you, if you get too caught up and in, in your identity is in what you do, then if you preach a bad sermon, you're not a great guy anymore. You know, and funky things happen to guys with their ego and who they are. You've got to be really careful that uh, you don't idolize your work or find something in work. This is the reason I wanted to be careful. It's because there is some identity in work. There is some. But you've got to be really, really careful that it doesn't cross a line And that's not always easy to do. But at the end of the day, do you feel in Christ enough of a man? Loved enough, secure enough, significant enough in him that you don't have to find it in your work? That's really the the issue. We'll wrestle with that till our graves. But it ought to be wrestled with. Uh, Now, Catherine Alsdorf runs a center for faith and work in New York for, for Tim Keller. She talks about a work under the work. A work under the work. 
that drives this thing. It's the desire to always be doing. Are you one of these guys? You've always got to be doing something. you always got to be productive. Because it's how you build your worth, your meaning, and security. And so what's happening in here is they describe it. So this can happen one of two ways. You find your fulfillment in work, or you find your fulfillment in what work produces you on the weekend. You work for the weekend. So work just simply becomes the means for some self-fulfilling thing, whether you find it in the work or whether when you drive out of there and now the weekend is all about you, work does the same thing. So you, you really got the same problem going on. And work becomes literally your salvation. And I love this line. If you don't get meaning apart from work, You'll work to save your soul. We all know people who do it. I bet we have people in our family who are doing it. It's very possible one of us is doing it. You'll work to save your soul. And by that means to be somebody. To feel good about yourself. To have things. Martin talked about... uh, finding a sense of self apart from work. Now, I will tell you, it's a great struggle of mine. Uh, and I'm sure it is for you at times. But he talked about if, knowing some doctors. And uh, he said when they died, they could have an epitaph that literally read, born a man, died a doctor. Because they got their whole sense of identity from their work. The other thing Luther did that was so great, you identify your, uh, yourself spiritually. Because remember, he was the f- father of justification by faith. You're justified by faith, not by what you do. You're, you, you're saved by grace, not by works. He applied that to work and said, so you don't have to go through life justifying yourself by what you did because Christ has already done that for you. In other words, your identity is so wrapped up in Christ. Your life is so hidden in him. You can still do good work. You can still see your... But you don't have to get your identity from it. That's a challenge for a guy. But it's a good one, I think. I was just watching... a. a, We didn't have elder meeting this past Wednesday night, which we normally do, so I don't ever watch any TV on Wednesday night. Came in the house, and it just happened to be on. No one was really in the house. Uh, Gail was somewhere. The kids usually aren't home on Wednesday night. So I'm there alone for a little while. The TV had been left on, and the show Criminal Minds was on. I'm just walking around the house. I sit for a few minutes, and I watch only the introduction to this show, because it's not a show I typically watch. So, but it happened, that there was a scene going on. One of the criminal line guys, one of the characters, is sitting at home and at a kitchen table with his wife. And uh, they had gotten to the stage of their life where they were grandparents. And she's sitting down across from him, and she is saying to him, you know, we're entering a stage with our grandparents, and you could hear them in the living room. And she said, uh, I want our lives to change. I want to invest in our grandkids. 
And she confronts him on his workaholism. And, uh, and he's saying, and this would, have been a, this would be a typical man, but I'm sure it didn't happen. Why didn't you tell me? I'm sure she's communicated it over the years. But his work meant so much to him that you could see a massive tension in their relationship. And he says, why didn't you tell me? And she says, would it have mattered? Just then, one of the grandkids runs and jumps in her lap. And there's this awkward silence in the film, and his phone rings. And so here's the answer to the question. He grabs the phone, walks out of the room, I gotta take this. And he walks out of the room. Now he could justify himself, and if you're watching the show, well, hey, he's gotta go save lives. There's a creep out there hurting people, and, and I gotta go find him. I, grant, I, I get you. But at some point, there's got to be a disconnect from your work, internally, personally, spiritually, and even, and even relationally. And I don't know what that is for you. And all of us do different jobs, so it's not going to look the same for all of us. But we've all got to make sure that we're working, but at the end of our lives, we didn't waste it. Because no one gets to the end of their life and wishes they worked more. No one does that. So, do with that what you want. I, I, I don't have time to go into a couple other texts I'd like to. Ephesians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 3. We'll do that another time. But let me finish this by, by giving you another thing, that you, how God matters to your work. God matters to your work, number one, because he gives you your identity. He's your life. You're not finding it in something else. And fellows, it may not be work. It could be a hobby. It could be anything else. And then finally, you have an, a moral inner compass. There's a moral inner compass that you bring to your work. Of course, this is sort of an obvious one, and I'll hit it quick because you guys need to get together here. Uh, probably on a regular basis, the guys that I meet with that don't work in the church, work somewhere else, work has its own ethical dilemmas, but I know you're facing them all the time. And when I talk to you, I, I get them. I just had lunch with Todd Pickett. Is Todd in here? I don't know if Todd's in here or not. He was here last week, but I had lunch with Todd Pickett last week. And, and I asked him how he integrates his faith with his work, because he, he manages a number of people in a, uh, in a tech space. And, uh, boy, it launched him into a long conversation. It's funny you ask, and we got to this particular issue here after about 15 minutes of conversation. He said, yeah, I was driving home last night, and I get a phone call from one of our vendors. He's asking me to sort of uh, how I want to approach a particular issue that just happened. And however I approach it, or however he decided, would mean either more dollars or less dollars for the company. But one was real, and one, one was true, and one wasn't. And his job in that particular moment is to write up what he thinks should happen and hand it to his boss. And uh, he said, yeah, I had to, I had to say, this is gonna, we're going to lose money on this, but this is what happened. And, and he turned it in. Because there's a moral inner, inner compass. Even if you might lose out a little bit. Uh, I had a conversation with one of our roofers. 
Because, you know, when storms like this happen, you get people that just want to get the insurance check. They don't really want to fix their roof. And so they'll get deals like this. Hey, let's, let's, let's work on this. Let's get this done. I'll get the check. I'll give you 10% of it. You don't have to do any work. You just walk away. And this roofer who's sitting in here right now said, no, ma'am, I'm not going to do that. He didn't have to do any work. He didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was cheat a company. He just wouldn't do that. He just wouldn't have anything to do with that. That's huge. Uh, then it's how you treat people. How do you treat people in your company who are lower than you? This is. A, I'm sitting in my office last week, and a lady, the lady who cleans our office, walked in. She was a Spanish lady, and she was. Just, she was. She had that accent. And she was dressed like she was a cleaner. Everything about it. She walked into my office and she never cleans at this time of day. I never see the cleaning people. I'm sitting behind my desk and if you ever walk into my office when I'm studying, it, uh, I got multiple lights. I look like a watchmaker. Literally. Because I've got, I got little lights everywhere. So I can see and read from here all the way over to here, I want to read something without moving that book over to here. And I got them spread out. And so when she walked in and she sees me there, she felt very much like she had interrupted me. And she's tiptoeing in. She goes, I'm so sorry to be here. I'm so sorry to be here this time. Can I get your trash? And so, yeah, I said, sure. So I, I have to reach back and get it. So she had to walk around me, and I, I give it to her, and I'm talking to her. I start to interact with her. I could tell she feels horrible. She feels low. And that just, I, I said, well, what happened? She goes, well, my car broke down. So here's a, I, I say, you know, in my heart, I was like, well, where's the car now? That was my next question. Where, where's your car now? Got it fixed. It's running. Oh, there it is. Okay, that's what it looks like. So I want to be able to read, and I got all these three lights. <laughs> all right? So I want to be able to read from everywhere so I don't have to move books. Well, she tells me, oh, her car's fine. Everything is good. She got it running again. Because I, I would have felt like maybe I needed to help her. I don't know. There, there may have been some way to help her. There, there was some way to breathe dignity in what she was doing because her work is dignified. It is dignified. So knowing Christ and part of this moral compass is how you treat people and value them and care about them even while they're doing what it is they're doing. Of course there are things like this, and I'll close with this. Uh, you know, I've, I've always, having been in the work world myself uh, and, being, and having to interact with people in business when I go and am in need of their services. It doesn't take long to distinguish a guy or get to know a guy or feel a guy out and see what, what, what kind of heart and attitude he has. You can work with anyone. If a garage door comes to your house, you can get a feel for him in just a few minutes. If you go to a store and you're working with a guy, you can get a feel in a few minutes. All you got to do, guys, are you flirty? 
Do you have lang- use language you shouldn't use? You can stand out so easily on a job and a job site if you're, if you're just honest, if you're careful, if you treat people, if you don't talk demeaning about other people. If you don't use mean talk and foul language and you're honest and you do your work well and you treat people well, you will stand out. It doesn't take that much. And that moral inner compass ought to be in there. It ought to stand out. So those are the things that come to my mind. I I wish I had more time. Uh, Let me close with this verse, Proverbs 11.10. It reads like this. When it goes well with the righteous, literally it reads, uh, when the righteous prosper. When the righteous prosper, and this, I'll tell you what, this verse is the, is the uh, Amy Sherman has written a book called Kingdom Calling. And it, the whole basis is this verse right here. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. And she makes the case of who the righteous are. And they're the gatekeepers. They were the ones that stood outside the gate and monitored everything that happened in the city. So they were bringing to the city. And the city loves it when the righteous are running things because they're equitable. Because they're moral. Because they know the city will benefit when the righteous prosper. And Derek Kidner, uh, one of my favorite commentary on Proverbs and Psalms. Let's see, he writes this. However drab the world makes of virtue, however however drab the world makes out virtue to be, it appreciates the boon of it in public life. So your kid in college is going to learn morality is relative. But when you get on a job site and somebody's interacting with you, they really want you to be honest and they really hope you do what you say you're going to do. And the city rejoices. What if, what if we saw ourselves as gatekeepers? That when we go out into the city, in our little part of that city, righteousness is being done. Because these are guys in right standing with right behavior. And they bring to their work and their service to people something competent and something moral. What if we saw ourselves as gatekeepers? Literally the fingers of God. Wearing a mask, God disguising himself behind me. God disguising himself as me to pull off what I do in work. Father, I pray for these men because what we've just talked about in here will... Uh, some of which, Lord, is not that hard. Just because of the, the newness and change you've brought to our lives. Some of it. It's very challenging. And some of these guys in here might be in challenging dynamics right now. Making massive, massively important decisions. And I pray you'll lead them, especially as they talk to each other. And guys, if you, just look up. You're sitting around and you've got an ethical dilemma. One of you at least an ethical dilemma you're facing right now that maybe this week you've got to decide on. Hey, listen, use your community group in the circle that you're with right now to help you. Hey, what would you guys do in this situation? Let's help each other be gatekeepers. You don't know what to do in a particular sense. Feels like I could get help. That's what we're that's what we're here to do for each other. All right. I guess you do.
Save me, wasting a life.